0: Welcome to Clarity Fund Podcast with Dr. Owen Anderson. We're continuing our series sponsored by Logos Theological Seminary with Dr. Surendra Gangadine on rebuilding the historic Christian faith. And we've been looking at the creeds of the faith. And we're, we're working today over the Council of Orange from 529. Tell us a little bit about what is the Council of Orange addressing?
1: Um... I'll do that in just one moment. We talked about uh picking up on some questions left over from Chalcedon. yes uh, qu- uh- questions from john fourteen twenty eight in Revelation chapter one. Do you want to raise those questions and we can
0: yeah, a couple of questions that could come up here uh about who Christ is, and it could be verses that are thrown out to suggest. What it could be called subordinationism, which is that he is subordinate to the Father, or uh, adoptionism that he's adopted and becomes the Son of God in some other sense than having existed from eternity, so I think in uh john fourteen twenty eight he says "If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I know that one's been used to suggest that um perhaps Christ is not eternal
1: yes. So, two points. One, the Council said that he's fully God and fully man. And speaking in his manhood, human nature, some things are said. So, at best, it may not be clear. And that scripture by itself should not be taken out of context. taken literally if it's unclear, but we should understand in light of other places. So if that raises the question about the co-eternity of the Son, and we've already addressed that in the Council of um, Nicaea, that Father and Son are co-relative terms. It's not that one is before the other. Now we're looking at one is greater than the other, suggested by the idea of Father. And we're back to the idea of uh, taking the notion of Father and Son, out of context. To clear that up, I think we should look at John chapter 1, verse 1. I think that gives us an beginning understanding of the Trinity, or at least of the first two persons of the Trinity, uh, between the Father and the Son. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. A couple of things should be observed here. The Logos is the Word of God and is eternal. It did not come into being. It's as eternal as God is. It's God's Word. And the Word is co-eternal with God. There was not a time when God's Word did not exist. And from the notion of Word, the Word is that by which God makes himself known. And expresses himself. So Christ is the express image of the Father. um, In Hebrews chapter 1. And it speaks of him there as equally glorious with the Father. But here in John 1, 1, he's the Word of God. But this is not simply a principle, something abstract. It's a person. It says, and the Word was God. God is personal, infinitely personal, And it wouldn't be a surprise to say that everything about God is personal and his word is personal, not just personal, per se, but a person. And it's of God, eternal with God. And that needs to be emphasized. And that leads us to say that this word of God, co-eternal with God, is the Son of God. Co-eternal with the Father, so.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how the the uh, word "son" for some evokes the idea that you had a beginning, because as human parents, our uh, children started and were born. But if the Father is eternal, that means that there was an eternal Son also. You can't have be a father without a
1: son. The term is co-relative. Father and son are relative. You're not a father without a son, and there's no son without a father. Yeah. But co-relative and co-eternal. Yeah. Now, a little bit more about um, the word is not a principle but a person. We see how there were two natures in one person. We should also point out that we can have uh, uh different aspects of the nature of one person become two persons in Adam as created originally in the image of God. Adam is both male and female in the image of God and that which was one originally became two when God created Eve out of Adam, and that which was one, that became two, are to be one. Again, so it says, and the two shall be one flesh. And there's a higher order of unity between male and female, as depicted in the relation between Adam and Eve, created out of Adam. So there are depths of this mystery that we should notice, and not allow ourselves to be puzzled by non-contextual, literal reading of the text. Hopefully, that is sufficient now for us to go on, unless you have something more from.
0: No, I think that's a good illustration, Adam and Eve. The, The principle of male and female or masculine or feminine is not exactly identical to persons but can be become a person
1: right become incarnate
0: yeah so distinction between principles and persons is helpful and i think last time we talked about um the way the uh, confession puts it in uh, on C- the chapter on christ the mediator chapter eight part uh, point seven that christ acts according to both natures by each nature doing that which is proper to itself it by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. So these these scriptures I'm bringing up are uh, examples of that where uh, the human nature of Christ is mentioned. And then people miss that context and slip into thinking it means the divine nature.
1: Yes. Well, that is part of our not thinking, not seeking diligently, and not understanding. That's part of the condition of the fall. And I think that may be a good segue into the Council of Orange, which speaks about the fall and the effect of the fall. Mm -hmm. Shall we go there?
0: Yeah, yeah, tell
1: us about that. All right, the context should be understood in a discussion that developed... Uh, Maybe a discussion, debate, dialogue that developed uh, with Augustine uh, speaking to and with and against Pelagius, um, who raised the question of man's free will and man choosing God. Now, this was a pretty intense, prolonged discussion, and... After Augustine, it continued in the church, and there were um, qualified positions such as semi, full Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism, that man chooses God first based on a faulty doctrine of free will, and that continues on to our day between um, freedom of the will understood in a libertarian way, contra-causal freedom, and uh, the alternative, which is the will of man, is an expression of what is in his nature. But it's a conflict between want and can. Uh, we may have to come back to that, but just to focus this a little bit more, because. Um, we hardly hear of orange, yeah. but it's vital, and the idea of works and grace uh, come into the picture. Now, in the uh, at the end of the Patristic uh, age, the f- Church Fathers, consummating with Augustine, the effects of the fall were summed up. By describing the fourfold state of man, and in keeping with Augustine's uh, rhetorical um, astuteness, he summed it up in Latin by saying, "In our original condition, prior to the fall, we could sin. It was possibicari." After the fall, he said it was not possible not to sin. Non posse non peccare. After regeneration, it is possible not to sin. It is passe, non peccare. And in the final state of beatification, sanctification, complete sanctification, it is not possible to sin, non posse non peccare. So this was in the days of Augustine, and it continued, and it came to a head in the Council of Orange. And we should say that Luther, as an Augustinian monk, picked up on this when he spoke about uh, justified by faith and by grace alone, by faith alone, and that the will is in bondage to sin. I'd like to read uh, some selections from the Council of Orange just to emphasize this again because it's not often thought of. It seems to have been buried in history, but this is critical. In other words, where we turned aside from Orange into the medieval period of history, we came out of that by a return to the affirmation of the fall and its effect on man, that we can do nothing of ourselves to save ourselves. So here is, in the Council of Orange from 529, Canon number six. If anyone says that God has mercy upon us when, apart from his grace, we believe, will, desire, Strive, labor, pray, watch, study, seek, ask, or knock, but does not confess that it is by the infusion and inspiration of the Holy Spirit within us that we have faith, the will, or the strength to do all these things as we ought, Or if anyone makes the assistance of grace depend upon the humility or obedience of man and does not agree that it is the gift of grace itself, it is uh, a gift of grace itself that we are obedient and humble, he contradicts the apostle who says, What hast thou that thou hast not received? In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, And by the grace of God... I am what I am. You might also uh, say Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace that we are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there was this development of works and grace, a kind of semi-Pelagianism that came into the church and resulted in all kinds of works as preparatory for or necessary for salvation and given human uh, fallenness we multiply that in all kinds of superstitious ways and so uh, we had Luther nailing the 95 theses against the sale of indulgences as a means by which we might be saved.
0: Yeah well I wonder before we come to Luther, going back to Pelagius, I think his concern was, if we, if if we go the route of Augustine, and we talk about predestination, then this undermines our motivation to be moral, because the person will say to themselves, well, I am as God predestined me. And so I don't need to be moral, because God made me as I am.
1: Well, I understand that. Um... And that's a faulty view of predestination. Uh, God is the first cause. Yes, we affirm that. But God works through second causes. Our very existence is um, uh, involves a series and set and assembly of second causes. So that we're saved directly by God, not apart from believing, but by believing. Yeah. And it's by grace that we're brought to believe. God recreates us by regeneration so that life is restored to us. And by this life in us, new life in us, we come to conviction of sin we might say the doctrine of the sacraments in the church as if the sacraments themselves can save us as if baptism saves us is a misunderstanding going back to the council of jerusalem Mm -hmm. and a combination with the doctrine of works that the church through the sacraments can bring about uh, salvation, bring about regeneration, bring about rebirth. That is only from God, that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and that doesn't mean that we're not free. Yeah. Um, it means uh, in the sense that we do what we want. And that is, we don't want God. And uh, no one seeks. And we don't want to seek we can use our reason to see what is clear if we wanted to. Want is more basic than can. That is, we can use our reason if we want to. And yeah. if anyone wants to play a game and try to flip it and say can comes before want, but we can't want, scripture answers that question too. In yeah. the sense that if you how can the thing form say to the one that's formed, why have you made me so? Can the one form say to the uh, can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me so? And if you unpack that, we see that it becomes meaningless to attempt to say that. Yeah. Now we could do that later on. Because you keep trying talk. to
0: go down, you keep trying to say, Well, I'm only I can only want to but I want to, but I'm not able. As if you could say something like this, I
1: want to Let's specify that. I want to what? I want to use my reason, but I'm not able. Are you right now in this statement using your reason?
0: Yeah, I was going to use that example. Or how about, I want to love God, but he won't let me.
1: Not that he won't let you in the sense that he hinders. No, I I think we have to back up to the more basic. I want to love him with my mind. I want to use my mind to see what is clear. I want to use reason to see that A is A that the finite is finite, that the finite is not infinite, when we specify it at this more basic level, it becomes clear. We are using our reason in the very process of raising questions about it. Or when it comes down to that, we see that that's self-referentially absurd. So can the thing forms it, the one that formed it, why have you made me so? You can't question your own being especially your being as it's grounded in reason. To question your own being or question God is to use reason. Yeah. So we can and should uh, take this thought captive by bringing it down to the more basic level and showing how it uh, is to be made obedient to Christ.
0: Yeah. So it's reminiscent of what Paul deals with also, though, the person saying, why has God made me so? And you can evaluate that from a couple of different perspectives. You could be evaluated as a point of information. I like how I am. I'm just curious why God made me this way. Or it could be evaluated as a complaint. Why did God make me this way? I wish I I wish I was made to uh, seek
1: Him. Notice I I want I want salvation, but I can't have it. That's not according to Scripture. Anyone who wants or who wills can have it. Yeah. So that is not a possibility that is allowed. And you push it back. Anyone who wants to use their reason to see what is clear can use their reason. What ends up happening, and this is reflecting the noetic effect of the fall, is that we don't want to use our reason. We neglect it, avoid it, resist it, and if necessary, we deny reason and go into a non-cognitive state of cognitive silence, cognitively meaninglessness.
0: Yeah.
1: So, uh, no, this light of reason that is in us by creation shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Yeah. So, the Council of Orange was making this explicit because a lot of questions uh, come up for those who don't uh, seek. It's quite explicit as saying that uh, It's by grace we're saved. And we read about 11 actions that come only by the grace of God. Yeah. God restores us to life, and then we're willing to—the life of reason is restored, and we're sustained in it by God so that we have a conviction of sin and death, and our need for repentance and faith in Christ. But this gets us into the whole sacramental theology that some of the sacraments save us directly, and that's bound up again in the first council of saying that um, circumcision saves us. Unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. So these errors compound, and that is why we say there's such a thing as the historic Christian faith that also compounds the one builds on the other and perhaps the first one we go back to is literalism and sign reality and understand the meaning of scripture contextually
0: well and i wonder too if there's some failure to distinguish between justification and sanctification
1: yes that does happen um we see justification occurring in the garden of eden when Adam and Eve tried to cover their guilt by sewing them uh, coats of leaves, that was not sufficient. They hid from God when God came near. God brought them to acknowledge, Have you eaten? And then God brought the curse as a callback, along with the promise. Um, of one in the place of Christ who will remove this sin, the seed of the woman. And he signified that in the coats of skin by which he clothed Adam and Eve, signifying that through the death of another, the Lamb of God were clothed, were forgiven. But having been forgiven, we have to be cleansed. Clearly they were forgiven in Pictured in being clothed with coats of skin. It doesn't mean that their sin that they had confessed and acknowledged uh, was removed from them at that time. They had to be cleansed from it. And the curse was part of that cleansing. Through suffering, they will, and trials of faith and chastening, Uh, they'll come to. Be holy, to be devoted to God, to put aside the self-life, that by which, by, um, after which they can see clearly what is the case. It's like the suffering is like a cross, taking up daily and crucifying the flesh, and the the self-life, and through that process being cleansed of self-life, by which we can see God as He is, and that is sanctification. That is distinct. After the clothing with the skin, they were expelled from the garden to live under the curse. And through suffering, come to know God. To be cleansed from sin. They were were sanctified through knowing the truth.
0: Yeah.
1: So I don't think there's there's grounds for confusing justification as a forgiveness of sins with a cleansing from sin. Justification is once and for all complete by faith in Christ, and then the cleansing is a lifelong process in this life, ending with this life, not going into, ne- into the next life, into purgatory,
0: but right, ending yeah. at,
1: at death in this life.
0: Yeah, that's one we'll pick up on as well as we're going. Uh, so, And that's what, what we might point out from the Council of Orange as well, is that there's a the distinction between justification and sanctification, but also there's the need for regeneration.
1: Yes. And that uh, uh precedes it. And that is what regeneration is like. Resurrection is like recreation. We're raised into the newness of life. Um, yeah. We are recreated, raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. The life of Christ is restored to us in reason, a way that we cannot de- uh suppress it, deny it. It shines and brings conviction of sin and death and comes in issues into repentance. But it begins sovereignly with regeneration and only God can raise the dead. Only God can give us a new birth.
0: Right, good. Well, thank you for going through the Council of Orange with us today.
1: It was brief, but hopefully it was focused enough to make the point that was being made there. And we see it in its context. And we're prepared now to go to our next step in Westminster, or what began with Luther at the beginning of the Reformation after more than 130 years coming to be summed up in the Westminster Confession after six prior councils, then Westminster the 7th. That sums up what goes before. So we're in a good place to leave the ancient... Uh, 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 church history and go into the Reformation period.
0: Yeah, and we've been hopefully making that point about what has been done by the Holy Spirit in the work of the pastor teachers in church history and that we can look to that and how many mistakes would have been avoided in the case of today's topic if we'd remembered what had been done at the Council of Orange.
1: yes. And all of the councils are cumulative from from, uh, Jerusalem through Orange. Right. Well, this is
0: the end, then, of Episode 22 of Clarity Fund Podcast and our series, Rebuilding the Historic Christian Faith. We'll see you next time.
1: Thank you, Owen.